Hey there, what better way to relax than by thinking about Jesus's genealogy from Matthew chapter 1? We'll get into it in just a minute. I noticed in the analytics on Anchor that whenever I do an episode meditating on Jesus's genealogy, the listenership drops off about I don't know, 10 or 15% way into the episode. So maybe this is, I don't know, maybe I'm not doing a good job of making this exciting. I'm not the most exciting guy anyway, which I think makes me perfectly suited for this podcast. But all of God's word is inspired by him. It's all profitable. Uh, now, different sections of it are more immediately tasty to our senses than others. And I know genealogies are... Uh, I don't know, maybe like the hard tack. You know what that is? It's like hard bread people would take with them on expeditions. Uh, anyway, let's just get into it. Enough of that. So we left off last time we were in Matthew at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, the first part of it. And we'll pick up halfway through that and just reflect on some of these people who are in Jesus's lineage. Now, remember, the whole purpose of this is not so you can win a trivia competition at your next church potluck. The point of this is to establish that Jesus is legitimately the king of Israel. He is a king. He's not just a guru. He is not just a great teacher. He's not just a good moral example. He's not just an inspiring historical figure. He is a living king. He arose from the grave, and Christians follow him as their Lord which means obedience and allegiance. And so this lineage is really important. And let's just look at some of the names listed as we continue on. This is uh, into the middle of the three sections of his lineage. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. All right, let's just stop right there. David, Solomon, the wife of Uriah. David... You may remember stories of David from the Old Testament. He was God's chosen king, the man after God's own heart, great king for Israel, wrote a lot of the psalms that we use in worship and that you might use to help inform your prayer life. He uh, was just an amazing man of God, really. Interestingly enough, here in Jesus's lineage, one of the most relevant aspects of King David's life was one of the worst episodes, his most sinful episode recorded in scripture when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's the wife of Uriah. So if you don't remember the story, I'll remind you. It was a time of year when David as king should have been out leading his armies in battle, but instead he was lounging on his roof in leisure, and he looked over and he saw Bathsheba bathing on her roof. So already things are a little off. You know, if you as a man are ever in some situation where inadvertently you uh, are in the vicinity of a woman in that kind of vulnerability, you need to preserve her, her dignity and protect her by looking away at the very least. He could have even sent a messenger over to say, hey, Bathsheba, you're bathing maybe a little more public than you realize, or something would have been more godly than what he did. But he instead 
arranged to commit adultery with her. She was a married woman. In fact, she was the wife of one of his loyal uh, military men, Uriah. And then to make matters even worse, he tried to cover it up. He arranged to have Uriah put on the front line so he would be killed. Terrible, terrible thing. A uh, good reminder that even, even someone like David, a man after God's own heart, who was a, a chosen instrument of God to lead his people and write scripture that we still use in worship today, is capable of a drastic sin like this. Uh, it's a good reminder for all of us not to underestimate our capability of committing horrendous sin that could deeply damage other people. Uh, so perhaps that's a good place to pause for a minute and think about our own lives. One, to just honestly let the Lord inspect our hearts and see, is there any kind of sin in my life right now that I have slipped into that I need to repent of? Uh, even King David committed sin. What what sin do I have going on in my life that I need to repent of? Just pause and pray and ask the Lord to search your heart and reveal that to you. And He will. He will show you if you ask Him, and He will empower you if you humbly come to Him in repentance to turn away from that. So let's just take about 30 seconds and think on that. Okay, I don't want to dwell too much on that because it's not really what this passage is about. It's just showing the lineage. And what's interesting is the lineage traces down through David to Solomon, who was a child born of union between David and Bathsheba, named here as the wife of Uriah. Now, Solomon, you probably have heard, he's uh, considered to be one of the very wisest men who ever lived. There again, his own life swerved off the rails. As wise as he was, as as well as he started, he he really made some bad decisions, which is a whole other subject. But for our purposes here, just think about how imperfect these two men were. The qualification to be in Jesus's lineage was not perfection. It was God's grace placed on these men. Uh, they did not deserve to be in Jesus' lineage. And similarly, the qualification to be a Christian and to be one of Jesus' people uh, cannot be our own perfection because we are sinful. None of us deserve that. But God in His grace and mercy chooses us just like He chose David and Solomon and allows us to be forgiven and to be grafted in. Christianity is all about God's sovereign mercy and grace. And Jesus Christ is the only perfect man who ever lived. So let that signal us to just return to some humility. Perhaps you are one who is prone to self-righteousness. That's a horribly ugly thing for God's people to be self-righteous. That's more like the Pharisees, which were the only group of people that Jesus really spoke harshly toward. 
he was really tender and gentle toward overtly sinful people who were just honest and candid about their sinful struggles. But he was harsh toward the Pharisees who were really religious and looked great on the outside, but were hypocrites. They were self-righteous because they were better at the external forms of religion than other people, but their hearts were just full of evil. We do not want to be like that. So if you're one of those who is really good at the external look and appearance of righteousness, but have a lot of secret sin going on, and if you're honest, you've got some nasty ways of looking at people and thinking about people and treating people, you need to take some time right now to repent of that. Luckily, well, not luckily, I don't believe in luck, but thankfully, God's mercy and grace is more than enough to cover even that kind of religious hypocritical sin if we will soften our hearts and come to Him humbly in repentance. So just take a minute and think about who you are publicly, especially if you're a church person. I hope you are a church person in the sense that you are fully engaged in your church. But think about how people view you at church or out in public and who you really and truly are when no one is looking. Do they match up? Take whatever gap is there to the Lord in prayer right now and ask Him to make you a man or woman of godly integrity through humble repentance and confession of your sin. We'll take about 30 seconds for you to pray about that. All right, now I'm going to read through the rest of this genealogy. And if nothing else, it should entertain you to hear me attempt to pronounce some of these names that I have not practiced or looked up the correct pronunciation. I'm not going to dwell a great deal, I don't think, on any of the other names in the genealogy for our purposes, unless I hit on one and the Spirit prompts me to. just want to read through it. This is just as a discipline, really, an acknowledgement that God's word, all of it, is profitable. He told us that. So, I'm going to pick up after Solomon, or with Solomon in verse 7. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, 
and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. And I'm going to change that to Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Iliad, and Iliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All right, good job. You hung with me through reading a genealogy, or maybe, well, I was going to say maybe you didn't, but you wouldn't be listening to this, these words if you didn't. I'll bet I did lose some listeners during all that. Whenever you read a genealogy, it reminds me, when I was a kid, I used to go and play in the woods quite a bit. It really wasn't that big of a forest, but it seemed like it when I was a kid. And I can remember from time to time losing my way and being in thick briars and not being entirely sure what direction I was headed or where I was, and then kind of emerging from those and seeing some things I recognized and realizing, oh, okay, here, here's where I am. That's sort of how it feels when you read through a genealogy sometime. You get into some of these names that you've honestly not sure you've ever heard before. And then you come out and you start to hear Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute, I know where I am now. But just reflect for just a minute on all those names. That represents generations that passed, came and went, all on the way to fulfilling God's promise of a Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. These, these generations represent uh, countless men, women, children growing into adulthood, old age, dying, all heading toward this promise of the Messiah. And I just point, out, point that out to remind you of God's sense of timing. Uh, you might have some prayer that you really believe it's God's will to answer, or some hope that is genuinely based in Scripture of some blessing that you're waiting for from the Lord. Uh, it might even be, you might even be one of those who is spiritually mature enough that you are just hoping in Jesus's return because he promised he was coming back to fully instate his reign and rule. And it just seems like it's taken forever. And why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Think of how many generations have passed since his ascension into heaven and his promise to return, and he's still not here yet. You know, I think the original the the apostles and the original Christians really thought he was coming back any day. I think that's part of why they sold all their possessions and they were so radical in their disentanglement from material things. I think they thought, I'm not really going to need it in the long term because he's coming back. And yet here we are, uh, as I record this, the year 2021, and he has not yet come back. Just a reminder one day with God is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It may take many more generations, or it may be before I finish recording this, this message before Jesus comes back or before God answers that prayer of yours. Just don't lose heart if it seems like it's taking a long time. That's something God's been teaching me a lot lately in my study of Scripture and in my own prayer life, things that I'm longing for that I think are good, that I think align with God's will based on what I understand from Scripture. Uh, because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It may just not even happen in our lifetime. I think for all those generations that came and went, 
they had the promises, but they didn't yet have the fulfillment. And I think that they could have been fully at peace and joyful just with the promises. Even though they didn't see the realization of them, those promises point to a good father who loved them. And that same good father loves you. And I just don't want you to lose perspective on time. That's one thing the genealogies can help us with. Give us some perspective on time. And so what I'd encourage you to think on as I pray for you and sign off, think about the things that perhaps you have become impatient with. And then try to think from God's perspective with the long view in mind. Maybe he's just taking his time because he knows more than we do. And then try to fold those thoughts into just the reminder that the genealogy is meant to give us that no matter what happens, even if what we think is best turns out not to be best, God doesn't answer our prayer the way he wants to. Even if that's the case, the main thing is that Jesus Christ is the king who came and died for our sins. And as Christians, we get to be his citizens and we get to swear allegiance to him above all else. And we know that he is coming back and he will set things right. Justice will be served. His rule and reign will be firmly and fully in place. And ultimately, that is the hope of all hopes. And it will, it's a fact. It's a fact. And we can rest in that no matter what else may be going on. We can rest secure in that fact. Father, I thank you so much for my brother and sister who is listening right now, not to my voice, but hopefully to your voice through your word, even through this genealogy that so many Christians just skip over. Or would you, through this unlikely passage of scripture, just do wonders in their life? Even on a deeper level than they even fully understand, would you be forming them to be uh, individuals who are part of your kingdom? I pray that they would be a thriving part of their local church, using their spiritual gifts in allegiance to King Jesus, spreading the good news of his kingdom, that all who would repent can be pardoned of their rebellion and welcomed in, that their life regardless of their circumstances, will be filled with peace and joy and purpose as they passionately pursue the aims of King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.